Hello everyone, welcome to XYZ Podcast. I'm Gary. Today I'm very excited and we have sort of short chat before we start and I believe that a lot of Malaysians know this um, upcoming guest and I believe that architecture student can't avoid to take his study of his house or his works as a case study for the um, especially when it comes to tropical architecture, his works is um, very relevant and also very modern in a certain way. Um, let allow me to do some introduction for my international friends who um, wanted to know architect Wei. So architect Wei Lo Kuan is principal of Wei Architect since 1996, practicing an award-winning architect in KL Malaysia. He was born in the northern regions of Malaysia where he spent his childhood among traditional Malay villages. The authentic and sustainable way of life in the village has greatly influenced his outlook in, in architecture, which later you can notice his works in residential mostly incorporating local timber and revisualizing traditional architecture into modern design. So I met Architect Wei uh, a numerous time from Taylor's Creed session or PAM lecture or even Kong Si KL. So the recent one is Kong Si KL and he gave a lecture for a student graduate exhibition. I think I'm the one that, you know, much more new to him as a boy who asked about David A.J. philosophy on um, materiality. How are you, Architect Wei? Welcome to the show. Oh, excellent. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. Uh, very good to be the show, I think you have been very productive. Yes. I can I just went, listen to one of your two uh, programs. It's very, very interesting. Thank you so much. Um, because I did remember you share to the students about learning things and one of the things you mentioned about listening and you suggested philosophize this. So this is the, I believe that you are not strange to Spotify. So you've been listening to others' podcasts. Now, now you can listen to yours. <laughs> Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I must confess, the philosophy this is introduced to me by my eldest son. He, he, he was a student in philosophy and uh, also psychology. So I he's see. the one who tell me to listen to this uh, philosophy this. And see. that's how I get to know Spotify. Interesting. Yeah. Because I think I think nowadays Spotify is like a new radio, isn't it? It is. It is. I think it's a very effective way. Especially when you're driving, you also can still listen, you know, and... Uh, uh, when you're in the background, you can always play, you know? Yes, yeah. yes. And, okay, uh, I, I noticed your sharings on social media. I hope that you don't think I'm like a stalking you over the social media. But I'm just looking some of the recent photos and because you've been sharing on the friends' feeds or, you know, to, to your friends and I'm really surprised that you can cook so well and well presented in your dishes and whatnot. And... I'm I'm really happy to see an architect who can you really really use the kitchen and also a swimming pool because I believe that if let's say you can't swim or you can't use a kitchen then how can we expect an architect to design a kitchen or swimming pool, isn't it? In some way, yeah. <laughs> but I think architect we have this skill what we will call empathizing with uh, other people. So you somehow like you have to be a woman. Mm. Uh, if you're a man, there's no way you can you know just imagine you have to Design a delivery room in the in the hospital, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, we have to be there, like also in the second person capacity. Mm. So I think we, we acquire the skill as we as we go along. I think. Mm, yeah. mm, mm, mm. 
that's really important to that 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 you mentioned about empathy because that's the basic sense for an architect because in a way architect is like taking set or taking decision for the client and you designing things that in the future is for them is yours involvement is maybe just in the first few years but after that it will be a largely impact to their life yeah in some way that 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 is a that's the point mm-hmm. um but at the same time what it, it, it also is the the idea of listening to your client or being empathy and things like that it also it has a very um uh, what do you call it's almost to me a secret weapon for an architect uh, where mm-hmm. i mentioned that it's always you meet a client that you know mm-hmm. people are wondering what the client would want to listen to you yes. and then for example a design for family and you you'll find out that if you if you are being um, a very actively listened to different yep. members of family they listen to the wife the children the father mm. and in fact you become better as a third person to understand their needs rather than just listen to you know in chinese family maybe the father or the mother mm. decide mm. so so when you're being empathy basically you can uh, listen to different members of the family mm. and internalize their needs and then you come up with something even the father cannot expect the mother also beyond their expectation even mm. the children mm. so, so it, it sort of allow you to to gel uh, sort of synchronize like all the needs and then become something unique that the even the client will surprise that you know more than them yeah. mm, mm, mm. that's exactly on point and i believe that we can talk more about it when, when it comes to the, yeah. the later chapter um yeah. let's come to something very recent now we are all going through movement control order order in Malaysia, which uh, same same things like lockdown. Um, I believe that you being a principal architect and also some a uh, visiting lecturer, so I believe that the times will be quite a uh, well spent between these two positions. And plus, not to mention that you are also a husband or also a ha- uh, a father. So. The time that spent distributed throughout in twenty four hours maybe is not enough for you. But when it comes to um, working culture in architecture, because now we have to work from home, work remotely. Do you think that is the challenge for you? Because I think that nowadays with mobile, you just send can get news or get updates from your staff, right? Um, in some way, but I think the nature of architecture is that yes, you you. You know, every every time um, if we if we look in, into architecture, the process, if you uh, simply break it, is actually you have to it has to be created twice. I mean, first time is that you have to work out the brief or whatever, and then you create it once that in the drawing. I think the first part of the process can be can be handled quite easily, except you have to go to the site and all that. But mm. most of the part of the work, I think, can be handled online. So internet, there won't be any problem. Mm. But uh, the other part, when you're translating from the drawing to the mm. site, I think that's a challenging part. And now with the MCO, all the site basically suspended. Mm. And now we open it, there's a lot of, uh, they call the standard operating procedure. You know, everyone has to go for the, the test and, 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 and it, it is required. But you just imagine if it's a prolonged period of time with COVID, mm. uh, the building will definitely will be highly impacted. Yes. We definitely have to rethink how we do things. And I suspect that I think in future, a lot of uh, contracting firm or even architects have to think about seriously about automation, meaning the thing will be manufactured in the factory or something like that. 
and then piece it together. It's nothing new. I think the, all the prefabrication, like pre precast panel, all those can be done. But nevertheless, my point is that the second part, you still have to be hands-on, and there are a lot of issues on the side that you, you can't really rely on the drawing. Even if you use the latest uh, building information, modeling, BIM or whatever. But I think that part, I think, uh, I suspect have to be go through a lot of, uh, I would say, a revolutionary uh, thinking change. Um, I believe that when you did mention about uh, prefabrication or the materials that can be product uh, produced in factory or whatnot, I think it believes I believe that it it can be much more relevant when it comes to your some of your project like Ting Residence or Lee uh, Yuan House like a lot of steel members. So I believe that those are the things that are already made in in, in factory. You just transport to the site. Yeah, but for your information, actually, I don't like that. I right. don't like all Mm. You know, I find that um, the, the, the enjoyment part, the big part that I enjoy most, for example, you mentioned King House, right? King House, I think, um, if you look at the roof, it's a three-dimensional mm. curve, right? mm. completed like 2009 or 2010. Mm. Now, that, that raster, all are all different sizes, but mm. all are timber. Mm. So I would use computer to, to demonstrate so that I can tell them first how to form the ridge, the, the irregular ridge. And then all the timber will be cut on the site. So there's a lot of handmade steel, you know, that people have to go to the site and handmade. Mm. And, and the feeling is very different, like uh, how things are put together. And Ian House is, I think, much more advanced. I didn't plan that, actually. Mm. But because I, I have different problems when I go to the site, the laminated, the type of timber that they promised are, are lower quality than I expected. So I rejected it. I have to redesign the entire room in basically mm. steel. Mm. But the steel is not like timber, you cannot cut on site. Right. You have to using a very um, problematic, uh, not say problematic, but very high intensity workforce that you did welding and things like that. So all of those pieces which are irregular mm. have to be like uh, pre-checked on site. So what, yeah. what happened then was when they put it up, put up the roof, it's very interesting, but you basically only have two or three workers and then the crane that brings those things in place and then they tighten it. Mm. Yes, erection is so fast. But I think I probably, I, I see architecture as uh, something that evolves on site. Because I, I, I believe, like for example, Ian House, for example, I changed a lot of things on site. That, like, there's, a, there's a lake, you know, and reserve forest right next to it. So you, you couldn't possibly envisage that in detail, how the thing will look like. So when you go up to the platform, you might want to change certain things. Mm. But when you do everything prepared like that, mm. it's pretty much, uh, you know, you still can change, but it's pretty much like, um, like remove this potential of evolving something on site, right, mm. you know, mm. uh, that comes like prepared. That's the problem. Actually, I don't like prepared and uh, that's the core modular system and things like that. I find that, that, that we, this is where later part, if we ever talk about technology, mm. that's the I have a big question about technology. Mm, it's mm, not mm. about the speed of how fast or how mm. efficient we can build, mm, but mm, it's mm. the quality of space or how we can, you know, provide a space for people to gather. Mm. That should should play a key role rather than the speed or or things like that, you know. So, mm. I. I I believe that later on we can talk way uh, more comprehensive of this, but I, it reminds me of Gaudi, like his way of work is go to the site and he maybe yeah. he will change the design. 
and yeah. and you did mention that you you do visit a site of course uh and then sometimes your wife might follow occasionally and i just noticed that you are you are celebrating your 30 33rd anniversary with your wife congratulations for that and i'm Thank really you. happy to see that you know so happy lifestyle and because personally i believe that you you can't expect and good work from an unhappy architect you know because somehow the throughout the process it will be somehow affected the quality of it um i wanted to know is your partner an architectural enthusiast she is but interesting enough uh architect we are bad manager so she she's complimented me very well she's a chartered accountant ah. very expensive so you marry one like she's a very good uh accountant but she actually enjoyed going to the site with me and uh and also, I think it's more of a personal choices. Like I don't, I make sure that I spend time with the family, mm. and the, the most immediate part of my family is of course my wife. Mm, mm. It will be yeah. That's that's why interesting about it because it's like because some let's say like some some designer then their family is not understanding, they don't understand architecture. Then they were just waiting at home and then not understanding the nature of work. But when it's when when your partner involved into your work, they understand the work that you've been done, and that's why they they will know. Oh, okay, architects spend so much time outside are working so busy, you know. Ah <laughs> uh, yes yes, yes mm. probably that 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 comes to it yeah. Mm, mm, mm. Um, I'm I'm curious about what was the uh, architectural climate in Australia back then. Um, because I believe that you've been working after um studying in uh after graduated from the uni and you've been working as well. And I'm curious because at that point of time, maybe it was the you know beginning of 21st century when it was like early 2000 and Glenn McCurt, like uh, the Prisker Award winner of 2002. And he was actually even from, from Australia. And I'm curious about what was the um, landscape at that point of time about this industry. Yeah. In fact, that's a very good question. In fact, when I read this, I was very impressed that you did your research very thoroughly. Because actually, I find that the forming of a young mind as an architect mm. is definitely from your tutor or mm. from the generation that just uh, like, like create the atmosphere, you know, the architectural atmosphere, I call it, mm. or this course. Actually, I, you see, last time our degree, there's no master degree, we have double degree. Right. So, Bachelor of Science, Bachelor of Architecture. So, I, I graduated Bachelor of Architecture in 1989. Mm. Then, I did uh, a, a master research from 89 to 90. Mm, mm, so, mm. I uh, postgraduate after my my professional degree. I was quite fortunate mm. because when I was like, um, I was actually a very, not a very like outstanding student, like, you know, no mm. architecture from this one. No. Mm. I, I, I have the opportunity, like, when I was third year, Mm. I I uh, I was um, uh, visiting. Uh, I did a, a special course. I uh, this special course. It's called Design Theory Three by one of my favorite teacher called Michael Tawa. Mm. It's very close to Rick Laplace's. Right. So I practically spent one year going to Rick Laplace's house. His house is like a really you have to, it's love it day. You have to get a boat there, and then and then from him it's like one to one. He actually took me to the how to walk the site, mm. and then how to survey the land, mm. and then how to this. And he he's a very kind and very uh very uh, uh what do you call the person that you when you are, you you are with him you, you feel that you want to be architect uh, that's for sure like you know like he he read the the, the landscape like you know where the mangrove cashew nut tree 
country and then mm. how how the, the soil actually sustains the land, not not something that because the landscape landscape architect inside. So the landscape architect would know the land very well. And then he's staying near the water, so the water uh, the high tide, low tide, which are very sensitive, very much living with nature. Mm-hmm. So this one. The second one is more urban, but he also influenced me a lot about the sun. You know, if you, you also mentioned that you know I still have very comfortable design mm-hmm. in uh was there for ten years. It's good good part of years, uh, like talking to people like Rick Laplace. He is to me is uh, 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 someone that I I would say if you say the sensitivity in using timber he was, in my heart, is still the best that I've, I've, I've seen, you know. But how he, his end look and detail, we have time, we will talk about that, um, that he's, uh, he cut the timber so that he can really uh, minimize, uh, don't, uh, you know, extend even the nine inches that he can get, you know. The other one is uh, Bruce Ricard, fourth year. I did quite badly in fourth year. Mm. And Bruce Ricard uh, is the one that actually changing the way I think. At mm. the time, I feel... You know, like Asian students, we, we, when, when we do mathematics, we always put the back of the book to find out what's the answer. Yeah. We also want to see the answer. And then architecture, the nature of the course is there's no answer. And you can say everyone can have his own answer. Uh, one, one issue they gave you, 100 students, you can come up with 100 valid, valid, valid answer if you, if, you, if, you, if you know you deal with it in the right way and then you take into consideration the right thing. Mm. It's really a Bruce Ricard, he have a very great influence by Zengwai, right? Mm. This is my fourth year. So every time I said, present my spin to him and I said, what do you think, Bruce? Then he said, what do you think? Because he just don't want to give me an opinion. He wanted to think, and I almost failed that session, right? But I learned so much from him. And I, I, I almost worked for him as well, but I was confirmed on the other job, but mm. I, I, I would have liked to work with him. Mm. And uh, <coughs> he's the one who, to teach me about how to, how to what do you call, uh, important of the sun because Australia is in the southern atmosphere. The sun mm. comes from the north. Blah blah blah. Mm. Um, but he, I would say, he's part of the school, Sydney School architecture at that time. But his name is seldom mentioned in Sydney School. Sydney School, and then the one of the key component, uh, uh, proponent is called Russell Jack, mm. and he happened to be my partner year teacher. Mm. And Russell Jack. Uh, a very pragmatic, a very but a very sensitive, very well respected designer at that time, and, and at that time he's already retired. He teach in the university, mm. so I was one of the uh, six or stu- six or seven students that managed to get into his studio. But uh, with that atmosphere, basically, that's what I'm trying to say is that we have a plaster. We have a plaster province on one extreme, that's very much in tune with the Australian landscape, right? Then you have. Uh, Bruce Ricard is also represent. Yes, he might have certain influence by Frank Lloyd Wright, but the, the flow of space and things like that. But he is uh, also very, very um, um, what do you call sensitive to what landscape like. He also show show me when I went to the house, his house is in uh, Warunga Kokoda Avenue. Mm. He got a few houses. This is one of the I think his best house. Is that he showed me that actually. Sometimes when you go to a building, yes, you go to the building to see the building. But when you reach there, what happens? Actually, the building itself relates to the landscape and how you experience the world outside. According mm. to this architect's design or according to this house, that is very powerful. I mean, uh, 
And only recently I, I, I saw one statement that I think described that very well. It's just that we go to architecture not for the work, mm. the work of architecture, right? But how we see the world according to the work. Mm. Mm. I mean, we always architect thinking about design for outside in or inside out, right? But in my, in my view, it's a negotiated, negotiating process of both. You need both. It's not one more than of the other, you know. So, I mean, you look at all uh, uh, what they call office building people design basically one outside in. The shape on the outside, it takes the space inside. But in that time, when I was studying there, the, 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 the atmosphere is such that, you know, we don't talk about sustainability, but it's, I think it's highly sustainable. Mm. We talk about authenticity. I mean, authenticity is a way of using material. Like, uh, uh, after that, it's always talk about the joy of architecture, the joy of construction. I mean, every piece of wood that you use, like if you come to my house, have you been to my house before? Uh, no, I'll try to. Yes. There are quite, quite a few, quite, I mean, it's went to thousands already, but mm. it's over cost about 17 years and saying yeah. mm. But you know all the symbol I express? Like, if you are in this studio, you, you propose a tall ceiling to cover up the lecture, the, the structure, you will be like sort of a question like crazy, you know? Mm. Why? Why do you have to cover up the structure? Mm. So, it's, it's what I mean by, uh, by honesty, because honesty is structure. Like nowadays, you can see a lot of fanciful shape of building, but basically internal structure got very little bit to do with the, the skin or the impact, the enclosure of the building. So those times, those, that, those are the big no-no. Right? Mm. Design that we are talking about, I'm telling you about Bruce Ricard, why the building must face north because you can get the natural light coming in and also warm up the house during winter and things like that. Mm. So it's a very, I think, but to me, it's a very uh, sensitive, in fact, it's, like it's a very, uh, very important way of looking at houses rather than some fanciful shape or fanciful theory mm. and behind it where the, the house actually doesn't work as a house. Mm, 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 so, so, so I think if you want to know that what is forming like my beliefs, and then when I uh, come back, let's say sometimes you have to go overseas to understand or to appreciate your own country. Like, like you, you just now you mentioned that from up north, right? Ninety mm. percent of people are Malay. Mm. So, so as a young child at the time, uh, even like eleven, twelve years old, I'm going to the kampong, for example, to represent my father to Kanduri, mm. and. You can see that they actually don't have water, they have to live by the river, right? At that and then they have to have use bamboo, put the immediate like pondo, you know, a small hut together to entertain the people. But basically you can see that they know how to look after nature and in return the nature sort of look after them in a way that when they need it, you know. That they actually those construction temporary maybe, but it's totally free, essentially mm. from the nature. Mm, 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 so mm. I, I I would say that then I will tie in with that, and then it just is very well. And then uh, uh, I think Australian architects during those times are very pragmatic. They they don't talk about style. They, they talk about like for example even the material that they use. They have a lot of Sydney sandstone. They will use the Sydney sandstone, and like Bruce Ricard used a lot of Sydney sandstone. And Bruce Ricard had to fight a lot to get insurance for his house because his houses are built of timber. Mm. And at the time people don't understand that timber can be very good for fire, you know, when they burn the char, the char exterior, it basically stops you from burning and all those things. Mm. But Malaysia, I come back to join Jimmy Lin, it's the same thing there, then, you know, 1991. Mm. So, um, 
uh, Jimmy also, Jimmy Lim also was trained in, in the same university as myself. So some of his lecturers, although when he come to me, it's already very old. Jimmy and I are about 20 years different. But uh, nevertheless, I think the pragmatic, a very realistic, authentic way of looking at, at things, right? I think that that is a very strong influence. Mm. And then I believe that a lot of people like or even uh, architects or educators in the university has been uh, influenced to your architectural philosophy or uh, thinking as well. But I I'm curious that because which finds it very interesting is that like Glenn Meckert or even you're talking about uh, Richard Lepastrio. So those are the architects who have been doing the projects in a smaller scale. Um, they, they, those, those works are quite ambitious in a way it's not like you know back in like 30 years back people are still flourishing like office buildings or whatnot and you've been looking into those projects that in smaller scale which nowadays that can, can notice in your bungalow projects they are quite small um, compared to like what master planning or things like that um, and then after you studying in Australia and then you've been working as well. Total out is is about like 10 years. And in the interview video that you did mention, like you are much more comfortable to practice in Malaysia or Australia, I think that's really relatable to how you understand a place or the culture because I don't think that you wanted to do some um, projects in a strange place that you don't know the culture, the nature, the people. Um, things about a place so I wanted to know like what motivates you to re for your return to Malaysia to practice and later on you've been developed in uh, Jimmy Lim's company and also you did mention in TEDx like you, you're saying that you can move a man out of a kampong but you never move a kampong out of a man so is that inspiration or the kind of practice into um, or study into Kampong that comes later after you come back to Malaysia? Or is it like it's been practicing in Australia? Um, actually, it's not so much that the, the, the uh, Kampong that come back. Well, maybe I elaborate on what I, what I mean by my experience of Kampong. The imagery. Yes, sometimes it's imagery because like, we go to the real life experience and you see a mouse of Caddyfield or Plateau, right? Then you have a lot of uh, trees in places, mm. and then uh, the building is basically just dotted in the landscape. They never dominate the landscape. So in that sense, I think the imagery sort of like speak to me. So when I like when I find that you know house, the the then later on you can say the yin and yang like, the landscape. What you don't build and what you build is very very important. Like, mm. For nature connect with the people that we pray to stay there. Mm. And the other thing is not so much that I I don't want to uh, practice in Australia or I don't know other than Australia and Malaysia. In some ways I find that you know uh, as a human being like for example like the culture is very important. I enjoy Sydney culture as well. Right? I have friends there and then you know I, I know the, 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 how they do things. More of the cultural thing. The cultural thing you cannot be like there for about three days and then you start to like think you know everything you know and then mm. uh, some designer he search through the garbage and then come up with a narrative mm. you know how those people mm. you start to uh, i call them like a fly by night like you know like like some big name architect would come in with a standard design plonk it you know at different part of the world 
But obviously, their client wanted that, so you can't blame the architect, right? But but nevertheless, you can see how alien it is the building, right? It is kind of like a signature, but alien from the side. Right? Just now you're really saying about how the structure and the landscape sort of melt into each other. You can't, you, you can hardly um, see the difference. But that, that I'm not saying that that is the end all and be all of architecture. I believe, like last time, I think we, we I had a, I listened to a very good lecture. The title of the lecture is this: Sapphire and Garlic in the Mud, right? So Sapphire is just like he's 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 uh, alluding to modern architecture like Villa Savoie by Le Corbusier. Like the structure itself really purposely sitting on the pilotti, lifted above the ground. The the middle is actually like almost undisturbed, right? Mm. So it's like contrasting like a spire like that in the mud. So I think it has its own um, uh, narrative, right? And and it, it's like the modern modern like for example medievalist architecture tend to do that as well. It's very serene and all that. And on, on the other hand, garlic is something that you know it belongs to the ground. You feel very comfortable, right? You feel very comfortable that how you relate to nature, right? I'm not saying that uh, uh, the one that like, Villa Savoia is from is a different mm. kind of experience. Mm. Now, like, a while ago, I, I went to Finland to see in Selat Salo, you know, Sula, the Selat Salo, what you call Town Hall. I purposely walk out to the platform, right? And then, you know, in those countries, they are well known to have spruce, like pine tree, you know, spruce. And then it's so something very common, but when you are elevated to the platform to view the canopy of the the spruce, it's a different experience. Mm. Like you have a enclosure, then you suddenly you you appreciate the landscape in a different way. Mm. Right. So again, I would say Awaoto is a bit of both. It contrasts and yet it anchors to the locale, you know, the 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 the, the site that is. So. Having said that, it's not so much that I, I am knocking those architects that are practicing elsewhere. But I think, I think as an architect, to me, I believe it's, it's a cultural practice. Like you see, even the Malaysians sit, how do we sit, you know? It's different from other people who sit. But those little, little things that, that, that make uh, the weather or whatever, right? So mm. I think as an architect, it, it owes what you call the duty of care, right? To come up with big or small things, right? But I would, at this point, also I would challenge you to look at architecture in a different way. You see, uh, Glenn Burkett get a Pritzker Prize, you know, equivalent to like a Nobel Prize, right, mm. for architecture. Mm. Then you building are not big. And what it means to to you or to me, like, is actually is that architecture is not about size. You know, you can have a multi, uh, very tall building, big size institutional building. I'm not saying that they are not important, but it, Actually, if you can design a house, in fact, uh, Bruce Ricard used to tell me uh, when I, I, I go in there and uh, talk to him and, and see how he do things, you know, a bit like what you're talking to me now. Mm. He said in, in, in Australia, he said in his office especially, like if you have to design a, a marketplace or some some shop or whatever, you probably graduate, get your license two, three years, you, you'll be good to go, you know. Mm. Whereas for a house, you need at least seven years. Why? So because it's like a house is almost very uh, uh, sacred to for architect to design, like performing a heart surgery. Or mm. Mm. Now, of course, I'm not talking about developer 
not not all developer are like that, like some cheap developer. Mm. Like just basically create basically a kitchen hole for people to stay. Or even the, the bungalow is so much thought they are duplicated and all all those things, you know. So so if if, if you if you uh, a, a house if you look at it is it's a microcosm of a city. The living hall is almost the entertaining entertainment area, right? Mm, mm. Dining is a restaurant, right? The gathering place, right? And then kitchen is the part of the restaurant, right? Also gathering place. And then you have like sleeping area is like a hotel, you know. So so if, if you look at it, it's a microcosm of except the scale maybe uh, a population of five instead of five hundred or five thousand or whatever in a small enclave, right? So so this this is the thing that I find a lot of the time architects have a notion that you're designing a bigger building, therefore the, you you are better. Uh, have a better opportunity to design great architecture. In my mind, it's not like like uh, uh, Glenn Merkett, for example. But Glenn Merkett, I must I must say that uh, his work I I like a lot. But but the person that really touches me is uh, Rick Lovelace. I went to see his house, experience it. I I find that um, his his uh, his handling of things. A lot of people who don't know them, you would think that it's like totally on the other extreme, like live in the bush like that. But actually he don't like glass, for example, is it? Mm. Glass recently I watched in the Facebook is it? Glass mm. is only good when there's some wine in it. He don't <laughs> like even put the glass there because you have it's a reflection, mm. it's the by war. But mm. although there's his opinion, but nevertheless he, he, he like question a very essence of uh, uh, who we are in context with the space and in nature. I think once a, once in a while we should you know tr- um, challenge the norm that we have been practicing for for quite some time. For example, like glass, right? And some people might be complaining like, oh, you know, glass got stain, stain la, glass get dirty or whatnot la. But think about it. If thinking from another way, what if we maybe we don't need glass, you know, and there 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 will be some other alternative to do the job and. I agree with the idea or the architecture like Glenn Mackett and it reminds me of his uh, design most with the colorful roof, uh, with skylight and all. And you're talking about uh, Finland town hall designed by Alva Arto. So those are the things that is really doesn't really matter with the skill, but it's about the meaning that derived or conveyed by the architects. And... And I'm totally agree that, you know, architectural experience is rather sacred or something that feels homey, homely in a way. Because, you know, even though when it comes to the same place, it's the same same building, but if once I, every day, you know, w- when I get tired and then when I come home, even though it's still the same appearance or whatnot, but I still feel um, like, like, like a refuge for me to protect myself from away from all the problems or things or worries. And... I always believe that architecture is like human, you know, and when things connected, it will somehow just feels like, oh, it's so harmony, so balanced. And since we are talking about housing, and I, I somehow noticed that um, a thesis, I think it was a thesis uh, written by yourself in um, 1991. It's about low-income uh, low housing in urban area in Malaysia. So when, when citing Wei residents, so you are saying that you are practicing this kind of a uh, tropical philosophy or thinking into these bungalows and hope that one day you can just, 
you know, apply into um, low-income housing. So I wonder if you are still practicing into that direction. Um, okay, about the thesis, actually, that came about because um, uh, the house that I grew up in, really, we have seen the section that I grew up is basically an illegal house when mm. I was born in, right? And later on, um, they legalized it, but the land actually belonged to a, a local Malay there, eh? but the very good, like, sort of share house belonged to the Chinese, and then uh, I, I was primary primary six, I think. I managed to write a letter, and then somehow the yeah, government officer come and help, and then legalize all the houses. But those are not um, not uh, if it's according to bylaw. At the time, we don't have the bylaw yet, you know. Uh, it would be like party war and things like that. Would be, if there's a fire there, it would spread like crazy, right? Uh, but nevertheless, it never happened because the the the, the neighborhood is very close, right? Because in 1972 or 74 in Polakada, there's a big fire. And then they are very aware of the danger, so everyone using gas. So, but a good thing there's not, nothing untoward happening there. It's always in me that I want to create uh, local housing even before I go to study. And then I like the, the fact that, you know, where I grew up, because the, the issue of low-cost housing mainly, the expanded income, that means things that you have to spend the household income, right? If you have to spend like a good 30-40% towards paying back the house, it's very bad for the the family to grow. Mm. Because the education is better, very better invest in education and things like that. So, so of course, that was my research at the time. But of course, before I, I go over there, that was my key thing. But to cut the long story short, after the thesis, I decided that I can't do very much. I came back, uh, when I, I did twice, I did low-cost housing for my professional degree, you know, like your master now. And then after that, I do another master by research mm. on architecture in Harvard, try to focus a bit more. Mm. Um, I find that um, the 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 it is actually not an architectural problem. You can design as small as you want, right? But it is a social problem, and I will probably have to choose by choose to be a politician. Uh, even a political activist, uh, social activist, won't be able to help. Because the ownership of the land, like at that time, there's a lot of illegal houses. In fact, of a Korean embassy, I, I went to visit an Ampang or whatever. Those I call them unconventional houses, right? Because those houses, at least. The, the people, the family can spend more money on the children things, right? Mm. Children expense, expense for the, on the education and things like that, mm. uh, rather than spending on the houses. Mm. So the more I, I go into it, I find that it's a systemic problem. It's a, uh, it, it's a way we look at the housing. Every five years, the government will come, come up with a figure that you're supposed to achieve this number, and then they never achieve is one thing. Mm. And then a lot of hanky-panky going on as another. And then it becomes like political tools to show off how much they've contributed back to the, the society, right? But what happened is that those, those people who are relocated, uh, like now there are a lot of housing, now, now they declare that no more uh, uh, squatter in, in, in KL. But mm. it's not quite true. They basically relocate them to long houses. Mm. And then they are just supposed to be relocated to so-called proper houses, but that never happened. So that... I look at this whole thing, and then when it comes to developer who want to provide houses, at those time I think it's twenty five thousand only back in nineteen ninety one, nineteen eighty nine, for a house, right? Mm. And then the sizes I think were five hundred square feet or forty three square meter. I still remember, right. right? And then very stark quality, 
no design that they have to provide it because they have to. And also the, 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 the there's no architecture involved. Basically it's just a prison hole that putting people inside. Right? So 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 I find that I'm not going to work for a developer doing things like, like that, you know. And then um, to do it on my own, uh, to say that like I cited we resident in the sense that I see um, bungalow and the client willing to, to invest to look at into idea. It becomes a very good uh, place where I can uh, test out a certain idea and then you can apply it. Like basically it's not new technology, uh, passive design. Like you, you look at my uh, like for example uh, Bruce Ricard Beach, you know, try to get the sun from the north and then I realized in Australia, in Malaysia, our sun comes from everywhere. Mm. Every six months sometimes north, sometimes south. Mm. So we, we, we have be cognizant or aware of that and then design according to that and then when you design bungalow houses like for example my house a good part of it totally no window no glass the air can move right through so the bus got glass but you know generally the house is 24 7 has air going right through so so those ideas i think can easily be adapted but of course why our typology of terrace house nobody ever questioned that but why can't it be a clustered house why can't be a mix of both, for example? Right? Why you have to to think that? There's a lot of questions I raise, and then that, of course, you want to change that. Like for example, when you want to submit plan, the authority would have like a preconceived idea. And you go to a developer, one they of land must have minimum of twelve to thirteen houses, a terrace house. So for them, it's how fast you can put in, get the approval, build it, and then sell it to the third guy, and then they cut corners as much as they can. You know, so that that just doesn't work for me. So I, I find that now they also give up the word low-cost housing because they know they cannot achieve it. They call affordable housing. Right? Mm. So, so to say that, yes, I would I would want to do something, but it's not not in the sense of like low-cost housing, but affordable. Like meaning, and then to me, I I I'm looking into things like autonomous house, and then with this COVID hitting it, hitting the 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 our country, our the world, I think mm. not just our country. I think a lot of things we have to rethink for very simple thing, right? The on-street toilet used to be like shared or whatever. Now with COVID, whether whatever you do, you probably have to come up with a very compact toilet. But every bedroom should have its own toilet. Right? That's that's my view, mm -hmm. And then working from home, like you you saw on the Facebook when they are trying to do Zoom, and then like me now like my dog coming in, going out, and then the the daughter mm -hmm. coming in, right? Look like you have to have a dedicated space. Don't have to be very big, but for these purposes, that means how you connect to the world. The, the next round, every 10, 12 years, you have this wave like SARS, you know, and then last time was uh, COVID-2, because 002, mm. and now COVID-19. Uh, COVID I mm. don't, I, I hope that probably I won't be, I won't be here, you know, for you, that you, you're going to be COVID another 40 or whatever. Mm. You're going to have a huge challenge, but nevertheless, the pattern that you, you will see this, that you, you, you have to rethink about houses. You have to rethink the fact that you want a gathering place, but how do you do it now? Like, of course, you cannot assume that every day will be COVID-19. Because COVID-19 is so scary in a sense that because it's anti-intuitive anti, anti for, for human beings. We like to be around people. Right? So the last thing, you know, our largest external organ is our skin. I went to touch the bird, oh, so big already, of course, we don't touch people's head, so, mm. so normal now, you know, but, but nevertheless, the contact between people 
never been affected so much as in COVID-19, right? Mm. So what does that mean when it comes to design houses, urban spaces, and do we still need offices, right? So question like this, that, like, you know, um, and then like, you know, like, in larger picture of even before COVID was the economy, the way it's going now, like the, the blockchain and things like that, eventually you might not even need banks, right? And then with the sharing economy, one day you might not even need a hotel, if it's somebody's house. So when you do houses, it becomes more than just a house. So to me, uh, that that is a lot of question that I think should should be uh, be quite provoking uh, for architects mm. to mm. Take into consideration mm. for future building type. I'm quite agree with that because I, I, I personally I'm quite keen into looking into this uh, um, hybrid or a new type of residential, for example. Because um, personally, I, I've been thinking that you know the high rise apartment or condominiums, it's been um, not changing like probably like 30 years back, and it's quite conventional and it's just a repetitive culture that been practicing or growing in this construction industry and i always believe that and agree with aldorosi saying that um, architecture is a mediation of events and it evolved with social politic political economical um, influence to shape an architecture or shape how people look at things or looking at architecture in this case and we we, we must aware that you know time as time and place are changing every day and, you know, if Malaysia are still playing the same game, but, you know, the outside or even the people, the player, are already changing their preference or they're changing their way of living. So we, 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 that's why it's, there, there is a necessity for the residential or the dwellings to change a new game set. So uh, like, like probably now what we are doing now is like online meetings. That's already changing like a new way of how we communicate or how we negotiate with client or even students, for example. So I, I believe that this is actually part of our way of life. And it, it reminds me of the drawing, the section, the cross section of the shop house that you draw about your old house, uh, a childhood house that you've been growing up. And it's fantastic to see, you know, like business doing a downstairs, like a grocery store, and then you're living at the upstairs. And in front there, there's a porch for people to waiting for bus and then back there there is a chicken farm you know so it reminds me that you know at that point of time there was no um architects that saying that you know i am architects and i'm shaping the lifestyle of yours or the tenant you know so back then it's just maybe just builder there's no name called architects but i believe that our culture has been shaped by architecture and 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 later on the arc we, we shape the architecture to change other people's life as well and it reminds me the um, Bernard Rudofsky talking about architecture without architects it's like you know there's no architects but it's just somehow formed or shaped by the culture or the lifestyle that we've been um, practicing so I, I wanted to know is this like big, big questions about like what is architect for you yeah that's very very uh, big question actually um Actually, that's why I don't believe that you can even plan a town, right? And look at COVID and things like that. I think very presumptuous to think that you can predict what's happening. COVID caught everybody, right? Even if people know that the pandemic, although I mean they can play back uh, America, like mm. Obama predicted it so long or whatever, but mm. never get that. It's, it's actually the severity of it is probably nobody uh, can predict the 
daily life that affects your alienate from one another. So, so I would say that um, like architecture without architecture, that that why it's attracted to us as a person because it is so honest because it's actually reflected the actual life. And to me, like the if you if you say that you saw the the, the section that I did, like I do one is basically for my father. Like the back there is basically where some chicken. It's an integrated approach. In some way, I feel that we have to go back to that. And we don't have to go to like now. I have to go to uh, nearest supermarket, and then early days we have to fight for the eggs. You know, mm. everyone is this thing. Just imagine if you have like kitchen garden in the house. You have some chili already, some kangkong growing, some uh, basic thing, and then have some chicken laying some eggs. You don't have to rush for things like that. Well, of course, you have to rethink about this thing, like you know, some some are uh, you cannot have a, a full full blown uh, chicken farm in a Dense, densely populated area, lah. Mm-hmm. But nevertheless, it has to be looked at. Like for example, the roof now, it, sh- it should be certain part. It should be a farm. Those bottom there might not get the sunlight, and then you should have like a more like autonomous house that you you know you you have certain solar panel that can light up certain room when you you and then cool up the house at, at night or something like that. You know. So, so those those are the thing that I think we should take cue from architects without architecture. Right? But it doesn't mean Therefore, we we should uh, we should abandon ourselves as an architect. Architect, to me, you just think about it. We are supposed to be studying the built environment and how human beings uh, like participate in that environment, and then we intervene by way of building something. In fact, sometimes I find that we have to think even larger than that. Like for example, if we are talking about Berlin Forest, right? Mm. And then we have to be strong enough, even though if the developer asks you to cut down the tree to build a resort there. You should say that no, you shouldn't do that, because you are about we are about environment. It's not just about development, right? and some some development like 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 early last year I was invited to Kuantan uh, Uni to give a give a talk. Hmm. I was very happy when they took me around the area, and Kuantan don't have much of a development, so all those old houses is still fantastic. Along the road, people are still staying inside. It doesn't become a tourist shop or something like that, you know, uh, that. And then they, they 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 really take care of it, and then it's really working until today. And at night, he said, "Oh, Saju, is it very cold? Like, help turn on the aircon." So, so you have a working thing. And then I went to the masjid Kampung Lao, arguably one of the oldest uh, masjid. Yeah, he, he had been relocated. And I went in there. It's such a nice, such a great space. And what is more most important it was, I went there. It's a, a Thursday, I think. And then just after the sembahyang, I, I, I was allowed to go inside the masjid and then to experience the space. It's tremendous in terms of how it works as a space. And is it an architect? But to me, we should just elevate those craftsmen as architects because they know how to use timber, they know how to piece things together, and that 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 timber structure has been holding for I think not less than a hundred years. So um, sometimes I think we probably shouldn't. Uh, have too much of hang up of the title architect, and in title architect, you should be from ground up. I think you have to be humble enough to have the humility to understand the people first that you are designing for, rather than you know from top down that you you're looking at the shape of the building and how that's going to impress people. People when people come to visit it, you know. Mm, 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 so, so so like you cut a section across the like Mercy Kampung Lao is basically. Three layers like that, 
And every year there's a gap where the air can move right through. So, so it's a simple secondary school physics. So uh, lifted above the ground so cool air can go. Right? Mm. Those are the things that if architects we start to lose this basic understanding, then I think architecture would would have to be uh, relooked at right. You know, just now you you did mention about Masjid Lawat and it reminds me of the logo of the lembaga, the one with the few layers. Um, okay, when when we're talking about nature, right? And you did mention about nature in a sense that it's a nature or a forest or greens, right? Um, and and you did mention about like physics as well. So those those are the like a nature of science, the natural phenomena that is totally out of our you know um human being controls, and that leads to another question uh, or, or, or theory that I believe that because in architecture, there is no right or wrong. There's only um, whether it is relevant or not. So when an architecture is looks right and it looks correct or it looks perfect or it looks harmonious with the surrounding, that's, that means that it has a certain level of uh, relevance in there. And you did share about the um, your understanding of nature. Like for example, when you did your hiking in uh, Bukit Wawasan and then you saw the buttresses. Um, so I, I wanted to ask, like, what is your definition of nature? I know it's a, you know, it's a big thing, it's a broad thing, but do you mind to share with us briefly about what is your understanding of nature? Okay, I think nature, if you're talking about the hiking one, I think it's probably because I, I, I'm already biased when I look at a tree after my training as an architect. So when I see the roots sort of coming up at the very... You know, like buses, uh, mm. gothic buses. Mm-hmm. Like that. So show you how it grows so that the tree can, you know, go taller. And then it's sort of, that, that is the support. Uh. Of course, that, that is really through a very biased eye because, of course, I see the buses in gothic. And then you also know the gothic church that we see now is actually gone through a lot of trial and error. A lot of churches collapse before it can stand up like that, you know. Mm. So the tree, of course, is nature. Then the other one was fire tested. But nature, I think, to me, I think it's more, more of like how, like more like, like sunlight, and even the tree in the sense that how it relates to us. Like sometimes we use timber, the fact that we have to chop down some tree to to do that. But nevertheless, it's also the the different season. Like if you are you Chinese educated? Yes. Mandarin. Ah, so if you if you look at Chinese um, poems that we know, I mean these are like so. So, so classic that normally if you go to Malaysian education, you will know. Like one is by Meng Hao Ran, you remember? Mm, Meng, Meng Hao Ran. Chun Mian Fu Jie Xiao. Say that you, in the spring morning, you cannot be sleep so nicely like Chu Tu Wen Ti Liao, and you everywhere you see the bird chirping. Mm, and then mm. you say, at night, you hear the, the, the sound of the wind, like, how many petals of flowers, very poetic. Mm. But to me, they captured nature. Because you just imagine from an architectural view, point of view. That means there's not much of a noise buffer. Therefore, you can, you can like, uh, and then also the sunlight can come in. You know, it's a spring. So the very just nice, warm sunlight that managed to penetrate. You just imagine if inside there, you've got curtains, you've mm. got layers of double glazed wall and things like that, right? double glazed window and a cavity wall like that, you, you won't be able to experience that anymore, right? That means between you and nature is so close by, right? 
And then you listen to the chirping of the bird first. Of course, now you can argue I cannot have that because there's a lot of cars on the road. Mm. <laughs> but again, the noise or the sound of what's outside is always welcome, right? And then at night when it rains again, you see he experienced it, right? And then, then you can imagine, I mean, outside here, outside there, definitely a lot of garden. Mm. And then he was wondering how has fallen to the ground. So those are, those are to me, those are nature. And then like, um, look at the Malay, Malay, uh, saying that you know about um, embracing the essence of nature el- uh, natural elements like rain or dust um, I believe that that will come later when we talk about like you know technology and how people perceive those things and thanks for sharing uh, because of the you know of the poem that you shared or and, and somehow reminds me of like Japanese poem like haiku you know um, it's, it's really meaningful that you know back then I was still small and couldn't really understand that kind of meaning until now. <laughs> Maybe it's like 
until it get, gets older, then you will get that kind of meaning more. Um, in 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 the earlier conversation, then you talk about like style in an architectural style, or you you did mention in uh, students sharing as well in Masa. Um, I personally I think that architectural style is just like a fancy word to replace like a a response or reflection of a time and place. And it is like an architectural manifesto of a certain architect to um, interpret what their works to respond to a certain time or, or epoch. So like, for example, when you're talking about like, like Le Corbusier's and then he did like the um, high rises or housing that, you know, strongly responds or relevant to, you know, post-war sceneries. So, I wonder, like, is there anyone telling you saying that your works is, like, ranged as a sort of style, like an architectural style, or maybe, you know, it's like a sort of, like, a we-ism kind of thing? <laughs> it's definitely not intentional. <laughs> but, like, if you, if you read what uh, Professor Carlos Smith talked about, my work and stuff like that, I, I, I actually, I, 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 I like him to write, I give him a free hand, I don't care what he writes, because... Um, I find that everyone has their right. When when the building is built, it's just like a novel. Different people will take different things away from it. So it's architecture space. So if they want to call it a style, first I cannot control it. But uh, but you're talking from my point of view is that you see I I can I can understand why people would look at it as a style or whatever because I use timber, I use brick, uh, but basically I give priority to use the use of local material. Because I think with the climate change, and then like like the even my basic training in Australia was telling you about like the use the use of material, uh, like the Sydney school architecture, they would they would do, like try to conform to the local climate and things like that. Try to you know try to be in keeping with the local environment, right? So so when when, when that being the case, right? Then people look at brick curve. Uh, uh, what you call the timber? They say, ah, oh, this must be like uh, we architect. Because in Malaysia, few few architect or engineer will want to venture into timber because they see it as a problematic material. So, so I think that I understandable. But I'm not saying that the the architecture uh, style is not is not relevant in the sense. But in history, I think it's relevant in the sense that it sort of they categorize it. Like for example, people say Rococo style or Mm. Or, or this, uh, 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 you know, um, minimalism and things like that, because there seems to be a trend that people are following. But that is the very thing that I'm, I think that we have to, when we talk about the style, these are the things that we have to be really to be critical about. Like, for example, during our time was between modern and postmodern, and mm. everyone would criticize postmodern. Mm. But postmodern in itself is also such a vast thing, constructivist, structuralist, or whatever. But that, that came about because, like, for example, Zaha Hadid's style, for example, let's say. You cannot deny, because he reproduced a similar thing, language, regardless of where it is, or Frank Gehry, right? And then you go to, I like, go to uh, University of Technology, Sydney, where Frank Gehry, you don't have to tell me I know it's Frank Gehry, hmm. because it's like, probably makes the thing, whatever narrative that he might say afterwards, but still that, that curve and things like that, hmm. it has uh, certain things that people associate with that particular architect. And I, I would say that I probably, um, uh, uh, the in terms of style, I, when people purpose, purposely do something like that, 
without any meaning on the inside of the building. Like for example, uh, my friend Gary, I, I heard from my very respected teacher mm. that the Guggenhaus Museum is really, really good, right? Mm. Curve, everything, but again, I haven't been there, uh, but from the picture also, it looked very interesting, but, but style is something that if you decided to do it, like there's a minimalist style, or, 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 or like uh, some people were like, you know, brick, like very treated or third world country style or whatever. But I think that that is again, it's just like you are, you are, you are not really exploring further. Already. You already have a certain framework that you want to work with. And then I think that limited your own investigation of what architecture can be. Right? So it might be a beautiful, uh, uh, we, we architect style or whatever style, but if you if you follow it, uh, nobody can prevent you from following it. But but definitely that that you, you set yourself in a straight jacket, you know. Like people might look at a very interesting shape, but it doesn't it, it stop you from from experiencing uh, ah. architecture. Mm. My my main point is that every job that I do, one thing that I try to do was that I want to make sure certain part of the building that I have no idea how to build it. Then I feel very happy with myself because then I have something to really do to, to come out, you know. Like like curved house is the same. You see the roof shape you might say uh, it's curved. Uh, thing one is probably slightly lesser or whatever. But I do everything is still is one thing. But also there are certain areas that I have to fight with the client so so hard to make sure that he has this this iconic seat that I call it, you know. That he cannot understand. He could have have all glass and get all the views. So I'm telling him that the view become more powerful when you frame it. You know, like if you if you if you look at a lot of great architecture, even in the past, like you look at the Chinese architecture, mm. old one, right? Chinese architecture didn't change very much because they are so dominant in the region. Nobody challenged them, only they copy and then Japan refine them or whatever. Not like Europe, right? So you look at the Chinese houses; they have this threshold, the mankan. You know, they force you to. Look down so that you don't kick the mankan. You do not kick the threshold. You have to bow your head before you walk in. Mm. Then when you raise up, you see the courtyard. Mm. Right? Mm. You know the courtyard house, right? So it make you bow, and sometimes it make you walk right in front of you. You have to walk at the sideways, right? People can say feng shui, or or to me, it's probably the screen for the cold wind, you know? But but all these are 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 are, are things I think uh, that. We can learn that not like when you have a view, therefore you have view everywhere. Right? Mm. You like like I said, Rick Laplace, one of his house that he, he seldom mentioned, but I went to visit. It's in Blue Mountain there. Mm. It's called the Ramalong House. Uh. You, you have to actually walk up and then you have to from the distance, right? And then go through a, a hut, like a Japanese hut like that. Take off your shoe, go inside a courtyard, and then until when you get into the study and sitting room, then mm. you look up. That's all you see is a. a Perfect square window. The glass actually on the outside was sliding mm. throughout. Then you look at where you climb up earlier on. So it sort of like immediately put you in context. Ah, oh, that's why I, I first accept this uh, to this house. So it's a lot of things that you communicate with you. Mm. Um, so 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 uh, for me, those are the the things that actually I want to explore more rather than a particular style. Mm. How you like our tropical climate has never changed, although now it's hotter or whatever. Mm. But 
you could create a Malay house. Although I love Malay house, I think I will do it a disservice to do it first. The the, the craftsmanship already gone. That's number one. The best the best thing I do, you end up like Malacca in you know the mini Malaysia in Malacca. The 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 detail is not that not mm. up to spec, not not up to standard mm. So it's better that we see where we are now here and now, you know, and then we look at where we are. Then I think your end result, your outcome will be more interesting. I I believe that you know to conclude that architectural style is like an interpretation of an architect or a designer to a site or a place, and you did mention about like China architecture. I am totally agree. Like you know nowadays China is China architecture is much more inclined toward like Japanese architecture that kind of thing. Um, I still remember like when I was visiting a bookstore and I saw this book called China Contemporary Architecture, and when flipping through in somehow. Um, appears like a trademark or brand from a certain place. You know, it's it's sort of like that kind of identity is well interplayed in that book, and somehow everyone looks quite similar, but um, they do have di- different kind of approach or strategy. Uh, it reminds me like you know architecture by Wang Shu or things. So that 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 series of feelings is quite similar. So. When when talking about like uh, architectural style, it reminds me of a writing by um, Hafrin Steele and Doctor Veronica. So the book is uh, is part of the is is actually an article part of a book I think, and the writing's title as analyzing architecture, dissecting Malaysian house. So if you don't mind, I will read like uh, a few examples of what they perceive about the architectural works. Um, there, there are actually like seven or eight architects, but I'm just going through like four, three or four. So the first one is talking about like Ken Yang, um, saying that house as a machine toward an exploration of bioclimatic system. Jimmy Lim, a house as typology to explore tropical and vernacular architecture, common sense of responsive architecture with it within its context. Dr. Tat Longman, house as experiment of idea and ideals of green architecture and extensive of resort living. For we architects, house as a sacred typology. So I remember that in Kongsi KL, the students name you as the master architect of bungalows. So I wanted to know, like, in your opinion, what makes a house a house or what makes a house a home? Mm, um, okay, I think there's there's certain recurring theme like you like in all my houses. I I find that I mean uh, recently I think Master probably has watched that lecture. I don't know whether you did. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I draw a diagram like an S like that, you know. Mm. Right. It's actually I find that the house would have to have that quality because I think wherever we are, right, and then house being like the most intimate, you know? like the example I gave. It's about uh, the, the 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 story I always tell is that to, to put put the idea of the house in, in, in the right perspective is that and now you're in Glasgow right mm-hmm. and then let's say you're in the airport there right and then I'm just a friend asking you I'm not from Malaysia I say oh where's your house just say oh Malaysia mm-hmm. so that's your the house right? so the plane go and landed in KL where's your house. They say, oh, uh, my house in KL. Then you came out from the airport. You feel they reach home, right? But it's not quite home, right? Then you have to take the this thing, you know, the cap. Bring you where? Where do you stay in KL? Where do you stay in KL? Um, I'm, I'm, I, 
I'm not really from KL lah, but I'm from Banting lah, Klang. Ah, uh, Banting Klang, never mind. Okay, very good example. Then, at the taxi stand, I stay with you. Then say, where's your house? No, I thought you stay in KL. No, 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 my house is in Banting. So, you reach Banting already. Mm. Then, you start to the shop, you start to feel like you're home already. Mm. So, the app is like, you start to unwind and then rewind it in already. You rewind into the place that you, you can identify with. And then come out to the front of your door if somebody asks you, where's your house? Mm. And then you go inside oh, my house. But then again, when you are inside the main door of your house, it's not quite your house. But it could be a place where you're in the room or in certain corner that you sit, you grow up, something very personal. Then when you sit there, ah, that's my house, right? So it's a place that where it can hug you. Mm. So there are, there are things that I believe, I'm not trying to be psychologist or whatever, but I think we love to embrace openness. But sometimes too open also scared. Like in a, sometimes I feel very uneasy when I go to a too crowded space, not because of COVID. Just mm. too crowded. And then, but we want to be like in a very small space. Then again, if it's a too small space, it's claustrophobic. So it is the balance of this. And then I call it the density of the house. So the part of the house has to be very dense. Feel secure. Feel like you're actually in the womb of the stomach when you are a baby. And then there are certain parts that have to be like, Oh, I see a few inches that you can fly to the sky. So the openness and the density, the range, you know, just like we, we, in a drawing, from white to black, there's a lot of shape. I think the richer you can get those spaces, I think the richer the house is. So from that point of view, I think it's sacred. It is not about experiment. Yeah, it is about experiment in the total picture of things. But the, the idea that, that the house should have, right? Uh, like Malay house, I thought it was very smart. The density is achieved by layers, which I try to do it in my own house as well. Like, like the staircase, a series of uh, screen that like people still can look through. But the, the, the screen actually creates density. I mean, you come downstairs, the brickwork, solid brickwork. And then if you go up, the brickwork sort of broken up into glass. So those are all intentional. Mm. So those are all things that you, you put in to create those things that I was telling you about. Like the ability for you to unwind and rewind into a space that where you feel you feel that you are totally belong. Mm-hmm. I hope it's not too abstract. I, I think it's fine. I think it's fine. It's not really too far-fetched or whatnot or too abstract. But um, I think it reminds me of the reading that I, I get from um, Alan de Botton talking about architecture of happiness. And in this chapter, talking about virtue of building, um, it says about how a space can be sacred and makes a, you know, a, a inhabitant to feel comfortable. You know, um, kitchen or dining room or, or even toilet can make you feel like, oh, you are actually finally at home. So in your writing, uh, in search of original idea in architecture, in three components stated like program, site, and enclosure, it sounds like that's the you know, three key keystones in your interpretation of critical regionalism, a gesture to, you know, to respect the site and also respect the um, user experience. So in this case, I wanted to highlight like program that you did. I, I like the way that you're saying like, um, dining room is not merely about the mere function of having food at that particular space, but it is about a sense of gathering. And in very visitor center, you did mention about like curated space for the kids, for example, a waiting area and then the kids playing shadow and things, you know. So 
I wanted to know like how do you get to know your client better or curate a better function or program for a space. So apart from the interview that you mentioned earlier, I wanted to know, is there anything that you do like to know your client better? For example, like, you know, maybe take them for a coffee and have some chat or things, you know. And another question is that I wanted to know, does, in this case, does the architects get to dictate what is the space being used at its best? So in a way that like, is, is the architects able to saying that, oh, you know, this is the best place to be used as a certain um, function. So why don't you try like a new function, you know? Um, to me, you the last thing you want is to come across as if you are trying to convince him something, mm. right? Mm. Um, you know, the, even the greatest salesman will tell you that, you know, uh, people don't want to be sold to, but they want to buy something from you. I think, yeah, it might be a selling talk, but I think there's a, a very interesting, uh, important psychology there. Meaning, but to me, I will take it further. Meaning, be genuine about it. You, you treat them like an intelligent human being and really look into their needs uh, very, very uh, consciously and very intentionally. Meaning, like, well, when I do a house, I make a house, I make sure I go through a very detailed uh, interview with them. What they do from the morning, of course, in the house, but they do outside, I'm not interested. And then I'll take separate for the husband, wife, and the kids, and, and what have you. And then we visit them again. And then a, a lot of uh, a lot um, a lot of uh, work in terms of listening rather than talking. Meaning, what do they actually like it? And then you have to be a bit uh, smart about it. Like for example, you you notice that uh, normally, I mean, those people who can afford bungalow, they're maybe a big boss outside, you know. And then they tend to be controller. Maybe don't get the children to speak too much, and then they tend to override the children, right? But I, I would say if that is the case, I always like, tell them, now, I want to inter interview your children separately, right? And when I interview the children, also, I, I won't promise them anything, you know? But I will just listen to them. Now, of course, I'll put it uh, uh, to the parents in a, in a very constructive way. And then even though sometimes the husband don't want you to talk to the wife too much because they feel that they know the wife already. Mm. And the wife just like, uh, like I have one dato that I related in the, my talk. Right? It really doesn't feel that the Dati will want anything. Like it seems like every time he's in control, the wife very, very like very happy with whatever he decided and things like that. And in, in reality, it's not. So that's why I'm, I'm trying to say. And when that, that you go through that process, and to me, it's not so much of an interview, but a real keen interest to find how you can actually understand this whole family, how they come together. Like if I ask the son. The son is like in his uh, 16 or whatever. He said, I don't know when my, my father got at the time, his early days. It turned off the internet, you know. Mm. His children have gone mad already. Now, can you imagine the parents turn on the internet, internet? No way, right? And then um, he said, I just want a small room, my uncle, uh, toilet, and then a small room, uh, morning sun, don't come in. Like, so basically, you want to play computer as well, right? But of course, then of course I was that's why you briefly mentioned. I will try to go to the house if need, need to. In, in some way I don't like actually. I, I don't want to have a preconceived idea. Hmm. Um, then the site is very important to give you the clue of how the whole thing will come together. But the program uh, to me it holds the key. And that how how interested you are in their their what they want, not so much their lifestyle. Sometimes they will tell you, Oh, I need a karaoke room, uh, whatever. Then you really go through the separate people. 
they actually only the father shops and really only want to go karaoke room right and the children are not and then actually they prefer probably a, a, a fish pond or something like that right and then the father actually quite obliging and eventually i mean you you pick up all this and then you sort of piece it together together like a jigsaw puzzle almost and then you you would like want to see what what is the most important a lot of them are very scared of like mosquito none of my clients not scared of mosquito right and then that what you cannot open you cannot open all like, like, like this thing then then they also know if you have too too much of a hermetically still space it's very actually very it's not very good so you you should have a complementary space and then a lot of time i told i'll told them and then they came to my house this is quite good in the sense that when the fan are grow grow uh, uh uh what do you call uh, uh, i switch on the fan and then if the wind blow through you actually don't experience much of a mosquito right so when they when they experience that you can take away a lot of uh, objection they worried about tropical openness or whatever mm, mm. that's the thing that um you 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 we, we really have to uh go into the the, the three three elements that one is very broad brush in the sense that uh, it actually i think the most important one is how you see life mm. like if you, are, you are very excited person you enjoy life you enjoy people and then look at how people live like for example mm. you would, like all my clients like for example the one the pj house they're saying the the, the father and the, the son they're unusual they love jamming right so why do you need a, a, a family hall you basically almost need like a, a i would say nightclub but a mm. very nice environment and then when i went there uh, when it's just completed uh there was six years back already the south african amb- ambassador before he leaves malaysia hmm. he still fantastic voice so it's like a, a clubhouse and then next to a swimming pool and then it's enclosed it doesn't interfere with the neighbor but it creates a, an environment an atmosphere where people can come together enjoy the the you know what what the, the people who share the same interest hmm. the people who are very blue and things like that. i'm not a blue person like i just thought you're asking me whether you know i'm cooking and yeah yeah i enjoy cooking but but music, I, I, I like music, but I won't say up to the point that I can jam with them or I can't. But I, I really love love it when they all come together and play jamming so lively, you know. Hmm. So, so I, I have to go to a few of his performance or go to the bar or something like that. And then to see how the things are happening and why people are going there. That sort of thing, I think is that uh, the most essential about our interest in, in life, basically. So that's why I made that program. Yeah. The enclosure, come together, like for example, the PGA house. I already visualize it, the roof that I want, so the part will be intimate, and then the, the type of environment, the type of material, is a mm. mix of steel and, and timber and also brickwork. Mm. So, so, and then where the sunlight is going to come in at a certain time of the day. So all those sort of things, we engineer it, we make it happen. But basically, um, it came from the program. Of course, the site then, very important one side is higher than the other you mm. want to chop bread you know mm. Mm. then you explain it and then you say you see you want this sort of thing to happen this already you see the change of level already create a sense of enclosure so why do you need to create another wall just mm. to save money number mm. two is you create a more interesting space mm. so things like that you, you would like like basically you understand you take the trouble to understand the land better than them you take the you know their the brief you know their needs better than them. With all these things lined up, not much convincing. Mm. You convince yourself that mm. you have already done your best for the family. Mm. 
Mm. And that, that to me, is not selling. It's mm. more like I'm telling you through my experience, you know, mm. to have all this. And I always tell them, yeah, I said, of course, you all are smarter than me. You are the boss, right? Mm. And commission me. So if you don't want me, you can decommission me anyway, right? So, but what I, I tell him, I tell him, until they also flip, they are like, very high high ranking people, high powerful people, whatever. And then even if they go to the site, I tell them, I say, I'm not, not loyal to you or loyal to the contractor. I'm only loyal to the project. I mean, I want the project to be successful that we already conceived this baby, right? And make sure that this baby is well delivered. I don't care about, you know, mm-hmm. you know I'm fair to the contractor, I'm good to, and so is contractor if they are lacked or whatever. Mm-hmm. Then everyone is like a both So mm-hmm. And then, if the when the project successful, everyone wins, right? So 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 that that is the way that I I I see a project. I don't sell them. Yeah, I'm the architect, but I'm not going to grovel and tell them that you follow me because you pay for my service. Mm. I'm not a superman or anything like that. Mm. I'm just someone that care enough about your house and then put put the house together the best for your family. Mm. And that, that is the way I would. Hmm. So in this case, um, you know, we, we can't deny that the role of architects also a negotiator between a building and also client or the user. And you did mention about interviewing the client or their family. And I'm curious about like, you know, when you are interviewing an owner or their family, so you, we, we, we can't escape the fact that time will change, like maybe the interview or the data will change like maybe after five years or 10 years when the kids is, uh, you know, grown up and then they move out or even the owner might be getting older or no, things things will change. So the data will be changed slightly. And I do have a very interesting question, uh, kind of tricky, I think. Um, so the question is this, like, if you have to design a shoe for a client with a misshapen foot, will you design a shoe for the broken foot or design for a shoe that can heal the foot or design a shoe that can only be used by a heel foot? Yeah, that, that I know. I, I, <laughs> I think that's a very smart question. Uh, but I, I probably have to reframe it whether I think it's fair or not. Huh? Mm. Because first of all, if it is through an accident that you end up with a misshapen foot mm. that can eventually heal, mm. right? then I would probably build a shoe that eventually uh, that that would tailor for the huge 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 foot, but I I when I read this I think in real life terms uh, it's like a better no it's a better like another way of putting it it's just like people with depression mm. experience depression for example mm. now older day people think that oh it's just a phase you will pass through right right you will pass through that means you will be, you will be healed uh, right but nowadays with the 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 new psychiatrists and all the data that they have is that actually this depression is a condition. The last thing they want you to tell them is that it can be healed. Because you, you are not, you're, you're not empathy. You don't have the, the empathy to be in their position. Like they, they see rain on the outside and then you're telling them there's no rain or the rain goes to pass. So it is, in other words, it's a condition. Mm-hmm. It's just that when you are born already with a misshapen foot, right? It's all a condition that you have to live with. You walk the way you walk or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's a condition. Precondition. Mm-hmm. Then we, I would celebrate that. I would rather celebrate that. That, that, that thing that you're born with, right? That it's not something that you, you want to be ashamed of. Mm. And then you say, 
you 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 read a bit about the Zen Buddhism or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like the things that people like is in fact, you know, like go to the tree. The, all the straight tree people don't see that it's artistic. It's the imperfect one, you know. Mm. The funny one, you know. Mm. So everyone in in the in some way actually, some tree might be straight on on top, but inside got termite or something you don't know. But basically, what I'm trying to say is that maybe all of us got a precondition. We are all mis- mis- misshapen folks, right? It's just that what we say misshapen is that we are things to bias towards the physical, right? Then then we have to cater for it. Mm. But I think. It's more like, like we, we it is like the condition that they, they are in. Like what I said earlier, I I would I would design like that. Like like he actually would heal. I would design for healing too. But mm-hmm. it is misshapen as a condition. I would celebrate that misshapen, so that it, it will be like something not like you. You have to be like hide it or or feel embarrassed about it. It's just like depression. It's part of your condition. Mm-hmm. So you need to learn to live with it. It is a condition that. Like in fact, now you you look at the history of the world, like Winston Churchill, right? He's many depressive. A lot of famous artists, like you know Stephen Fry, mm. you know whether Stephen Fry, uh, and then the other guy that worked on the house or whatever. Mm. Yeah, yeah, there are many depression, depression, and then some people have thought that have thought that you know it's because they are so sensitive. Why they get depressed so fast? Because they're very sensitive to the environment, and that's why they are great writer. They are the same things that a normal, so-called normal human being don't see. They are more sensitive towards that. Mm. So, so, so it's something to be celebrated if you're looking at it from that point of view, rather than something to be uh, talked about or ashamed or, or, or to deal with. Mm. That, that's my, that's my thinking. That's interesting to you know to know that your perspective on this is like. Um... Let's go with the nature that not try not to against it or forcing it to obey to a certain way. Let's just for, follow the flow, you know. Um, in this case, I wanted to raise up like a maybe it's a theory or philosophy comes from and Vietnamese architects, architect Huang. He was saying that three components that shape architecture or happiness is called. Um, happy building or happy architects and ha- happy user. So when these three coexist together to shape a you know a happy environment or ha- when when people happy to use it or you know architects also happy to design it you know. So it reminds me of the interview that you did mention about um, back then when you were you were working for Jimmy Lim and then you talking about the structural failure of an apartment. So perhaps that some sort of inspired your. Um, practice into current you are saying that you're trying not to work too far or you're trying not to work something that you can't carry a certain load so you did mention like within the radius of 50 kilometers it works the best for you and then you think that um, that's is easy for you so I wanted to know that how how does that comes to your practice and you know, nowadays, like especially when when economics downfall, it it becomes very hard for people to do this because you know a lot of architects actually uh, struggle for jobs. You know. Yeah. No, but I do. I do break my own rule also. Like they've got this very nice client, right? Mm. From South, but they're well, uh, currently suspended, lah. So that that the they're in a Kluang somewhere, you know, Kluang there, but. They are very nice client, a very nice couple. Mm. But but generally my it's not so much that 
when I they come to me and then I start to measure how far your house is. But it's more like I say, oh, it's in uh, near UIA or whatever. I see as long as my car can go there within like uh, an hour plus and come back. The whole idea was that more like I want to visit the site. Mm. I want to see how the house is built. So the fifty kilometer is not a magic figure as such, mm, mm. but it's more like uh, my 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 uh, interest like, in the project that I, I want to be be able to see it grow, you know, over time. Yeah, yeah, I I'm totally with uh, agree with you. You know, like when you can visit the site and then you're seeing. It grows. It's like from from a infant to a adult, you know, where like a like a building. It grows, you know. Um, now let's talk about technology. And I remember that I, w- I was once visiting uh, Balai Seni. It was a KLF uh, exhibition, and I remember the sketches that is being suspended from the ceiling and the I think and also the model. I think both are quite um, related to Ting residence. And you did mention about how beam model can help you to understand a certain structure. For example, when it comes to thing residence, is a 3D curve um, in, in the roof design. And you did like wonderful hand sketches with the roof structure or the layout of it. So I, I how I perceive is that you usually would start with hand sketches and then after that, computer-added drawings will come later to help you to realize or to get an accurate result. So it, it, it same goes to UKM Science Park as well. You use like a wind diagram or wind flow diagram to understand that how does it works better with science or with uh, sustainability. And, and, and Foster was once saying that technology is not a threat but a means. So I wanted to know what is your understanding for technology? Uh, I think technology again is quite a large thing to discuss. Mm, mm. Uh, if you have software, it's actually even before you start. And then when you are building the real thing, there's also technology like automation, you know. You can actually have a you can close the parametric gap by come up with a drawing, it goes to the factory, like like there's like Ian House very much that, right? Mm. They bring they come to the site and put it up. Mm. Now on the software side, like you if you look at like Gary, uh, Frank Gary one, uh, mm. Frank Gary actually he, he confessed that he can't even operate Blackberry very well, but if you look at his building, but basically he have a tailor made. I understand uh, that the uh, software to come out with those three dimensional curves and what have you. And so it's like a Patrick Schumacher, the one in Zara Hadith. Mm. So, so definitely the technology influence whether we like it or not, the software. Right? But what I'm more uh, talking about, um, thinking about technology, is more of our attitude towards our environment with the modern technology. Like technology is always there, like even a cup, right? You fashion it by a craftsman or you need a whatever that's the technology, so you know you can drink from it, you know, rather than use your hand. Right? So it's a technology, I mean in a, a basic sense. Huh? But when you let's say uh, look at the traditional Malay houses, they actually go through a process to to look at the tree whether they are fit or not. And in fact they have a built in culture. When the sun is born, they plant a chengal. Girl is born, they plant a coconut tree. So with the view that when they can cut the tree at the marrying age of the sun to build the house, you know, part of the house at least. So, so it is, it is uh, the way technology is seen during that time, they don't call it, we call it technology. It is a very sensible way of living. I mean, they look after the environment, they build it, and the audience, it grows, excuse me, and then they cut off, and then they build the house. So, so it's like they see 
as technology actually uh, I, in my lecture also I, I I mentioned this like you know like Heidegger Martin Heidegger the the philosopher the influence mm. of Peter Zumthor mm. is that thing about technique the word technique is actually to reveal the potential of something right a tree you you you, you don't know what it is but it, you 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 fashion it you see how you know that they become like eventually a furniture and then you also have to do with poetic about making things. So the craftsmanship comes into it. But with the modern technology is so efficient, right? So when they look at like even IKEA, they look at the spruce, the pine tree, they want to know, they want they see only the utility, the how most efficient way of how many pieces they can make to sell it to the general public. So a lot of the 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 craftsmanship or the way we appreciate our materials is, is lost. In a way we see more and more like the the, the and nature is something that we can set upon, we can control. We are the boss, we take we take over. Mm. You know? Mm. So I think that that is the, to me is the the dangerous part. La. And in fact I, I just heard the speculation that the climate change uh, actually uh, some scientists speculate that actually foster the ease of like the transfer of viruses from animals to human beings. So, so a, 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 a lot of this because of our attitude towards technology that as if we can do everything to the nature, and control the nature, that actually, actually will be very detrimental to the future of our mankind is one thing. And then more immediately, architects in the sense that we, we use a lot of a raw material. Mm. Even I love uh, timber also, but I find that it has to be really controlled. And then I also watched some some documentary. In fact, yeah, also they chopped down forests that they're not supposed to chop down in Ukraine or a lot of these things. But that is actually to me is the result of the technology that can efficiently cut something and then transport it and then make things disappear very fast. Mm. Right? Mm. And that, that is my concern. Mm. More of my concern about uh, what technology. Like, but I don't as a software wise, I find that it's very helpful for me. Like like uh, Ker resident for example, mm. all the three D came from me, and then I like even my own house. At the time there's no BIS. I'm using architectural AutoCAD architecture desktop back in, uh, I think, uh, no, 2000, 2000, uh, year 2000 or 1999 like that. Then I I can figure out exactly how long is my expansion of the timber. I know it's 23 sections, 21 sections. And then I have to get how many pieces of wood, and then I use two by four because the standard size, and then how to lap it so that I can optimal without cutting uh, the, the, the tree, mm. um, uh, without wasting too much of the raw material. So those I think is helpful, mm. but nevertheless you will do it sparingly. You don't, you don't like, um, you know, like like like. Uh, so it's not like I don't think technology is neutral. I think technology as it stands now is really detrimental mm. when it comes to like uh, our relationship with nature. And I agree with the you you citing Martin Heidegger is in this case because I think a lot of people might not knowing him, but I think one of his writing about um po poetry and language is really meaningful in, in in a certain sense that he was saying about dwellings and construction and how does architecture can cultivate things or cultivate events, cultivate occasions for humanity. And it's true that, you know, technology is actually part of the humanity. Um, technology is actually part of human wisdom. 
So, but but we we must understand that it, it must reach to a set uh, a certain equilibrium that we don't abuse each other. Um. Now now let's talk about like green design. And I noticed that most of your design in bungalows is not very high tech ish in a way that is not inclined into like um Ken Yang kind of thing or Foster kind of thing. It's not very active green design driven. So yours is much more like um running from indigenous ways, like learning from Kampong, um learning from masjid. And you did mention like you categorize green design in a passive and active design. For PJ House, you refuse to flatten the land when, you know, the client saying that he wanted to just flatten the whole thing, but to embrace the nature of slope. And when it comes to House 9, it's like a tunnel that connects between two bodies of houses. And I find it is like, you know, what Chinese would say, like qi, that connects and flow into the interior of the houses. And it somehow quite looks quite similar, like a wind tunnel with venturi effects. And... Of course, the philosophy of openness or ventilation is well displayed into most of your projects. I wanted to know, like, you know, nowadays, many condom condominiums or apartments, they are usually masking or advertising with um, creeper plants. And then they call themselves as a green building, even though it's not um, certified or performed like a green building. So I wanted to know what is your point in this but uh, I think, yeah, that's a good good question because there's about a lot of greenwashing, you know. Like some people paint the building green and then some put some or some like some of some topic center they put the plastic leaf, you know. Thank <laughs> you say that green. But to to me that's greenwashing. But in GBI, in fact, if they're planting vertical wall, it doesn't correct any marks at all. But not that I'm totally for green uh, GBI because I find that now the whole uh, economy system. Like when green level, like I trying to tell you this now, like early on when you talk about my the background in Sydney, right? All those architects already, they pretty much talk about green design without promoting themselves the green design. The, the, the approach that you're talking about, like Ken Yang one, mm. uh, my one, is a very, uh, it's one is active and passive approach, right? You can have combined approach. Yes, I'm more geared towards active approach. And uh, it's not that I give up on uh, uh, active approach, but I haven't convinced yet. I find that the, the money doesn't work, right? The number country. Uh, a lot of developers also confess to me that, you know, they put the solar panel there to get the green mark or whatever. But at the end of the day, they know they're going to lose money there, right? So it is a lot of like when you codify, you certify, and then you commodify, you make it a commodity, right? Green, right? That is the problem. Mm. It's become like a, a, a very artificial thing that you're trying to deal with. And then those green wall, in fact, there's a, another book by a Chinese professor, I can't remember the name already. Mm. Um, it's a dual language one. Um, I think he put it very well. In fact, the green wall, I mean, certain plant might work, like okra or whatever, but essentially, it doesn't make sense. Like the water, the maintenance, it just doesn't make sense. You mm. waste a lot of water and resources rather than that. Right? So unless um, you have to do a aquaponic and hydroponic based on LED light, that's another technology. Mm. But I feel that we, we all, as architects, we, we owe it to ourselves, you know, to really go into uh, whether it works or not, in the real term, money term, whether, you know, installation, how long it takes and things like that, you know. Like like the other things that your your your, your generation, I think, 
changing phone like changing uh, uh, this thing like that right and then talking you you seem to be very conscious about sustainability but you know lithium like the, the, the rare earth and things like that that harm our environment so much mm. and then like, like for example aircon in the petronas tower the the, the, the surya there they call they use the lithium bromide mm. which is actually but that makes sense huh? because lithium bromide is a byproduct of petroleum you know So they get it for free. They can run it, but it's highly corrosive type of thing. Hmm. But what I'm trying to say, my misgiving about uh, not saying misgiving, but things that I feel that we still have to work very hard on if we have to use active technology, like this uh, lithium bromide, although it's very good, they call the PCM phase change material. Hmm. Uh, I mean, it's not uh, uh, using a lot of energy, but use the phase change material. But it creates on the other end is a very Uh, detrimental, uh, something very detrimental to the environment, mm. and highly cool. And then, unless we 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 can work out something that is very convincing, right? And solar panel also it has its uh, lifespan, which is a lot of time even overcast it doesn't work. Tubing works better right, because it absorbs radiation heat. Uh, but some application I think is very good, like the UKM I think they did very well for the tower, dual active heating. Uh, do active tower for the thing. That's my my very mm. But that those application, I'm totally supporting it. I feel that it's really uh work very well. Which I in that 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 uh things there that uh, the, the 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 submission that I have for the competition, I use that as well. Because that one works. Mm. So having said that, passive and active, I find that passive because you don't really need to invest anything except that you are be mindful about the. Orientation and uh, some, uh, you know, orientation to the sun, wind mm. movement, and things. Mm. So I, I, I would say that even for the immediate future, I don't foresee. I would, I would do some. Uh, recently, that uh, that one city hype, my client installed a solar panel on top. I think to work very well for him because it takes only like seventy-five ringgit mm. a month, you know, after mm. the the thing. But he need about ten years, lah. Break the it's a good point that you um, talking about like solar panel and also the time to uh, to recover or pay back a certain cost for for a solar panel to get back the you know a rebate or whatnot right so in this case we like to I would like to talk about time and you know Zumto once was saying that architecture is like music it has a temporal and spatial quality of it and in speaking of like For example, think residence again. Um, it has that kind of quality of patina, and I think it's really up to the mentality of client or architect to accept it. The the reality of time. So you know, in in Japanese, like like in Japan, it's pretty common. Like people will accept it as part of the nature. Um, it's like wabi sabi kind of thing. So I I I think I I saw it somewhere in your post, and then my there might be some student or friend might saying, oh. When your building is so open, what about rain? What about dust? Uh, what about mosquito? You know, it's it's all about this sort of maintenance. So, I wanted to know, like, how do you accept these kind of things? You know, as part of the natural um, elements of our daily life, like like what you say about you know water, Bob Marley just now, and and I noticed that solar panel or rainwater harvesting w- not really a uh, Prime innovation in your design, but it's much more um, toward a passive design, a passive green design. 
so in this case, I wanted to know like, you know, the maintenance of uh, solar panel or those active design system as well will become like a part of the issue for a build for a builder or even an architect or even a client. So does this mean that a green design is uh, more expensive than a regular construction? 100%. Mm. We, that, that is the bottom line. Mm. The client willing to make an experiment. The other thing is that Barrels, the chocolate factory, in fact, try to introduce the PCM, air conditioning system. Now, the investment is about the same as the conventional system. But the problem is that the PCM is not very well established. Mm. So you don't know uh, the phase change material. And then who are the people that are uh, supplying with it? They have been in the market too long, you know. So so you you can't get the client to invest like hundreds of uh, 200, 300,000 just to get the system there. And then after about maybe two years, three years, or five years, the, the people no longer can service it. Because it's not common in the market. Mm. Right? And then, um, that, that, that's my point, that the cost may be the same, but it's the maintenance afterwards. Right? And then, like, for example, you have, like, for example, uh, I, won't, I won't call a solar panel anything like innovation already. It's pretty much very common. And in fact, the problem is, uh, if you read, some article that in Hanning, I think, in, in China, that the, the factory that create a solar panel, they really make a map of the environment there, right? So it, it's like when I say the back end, you, you look like you are doing something very good for uh, uh, environment. That's what happens when you commodify it, right? Everyone using it, but we start to play, uh, put a blind eye on how it is produced, right? So, so like, like uh, the other thing is the more more important things, I, I look at my own handphone, I'm still using iPhone hmm. 8, 8, all my children are 8, 11 or whatever, keep changing. Hmm. So, you know, the lithium battery that we're supposed to dispose of properly and things like that, how many of us actually doing that? Hmm. Right? And then look at the garbage, the plastic or whatever, that uh, from a country that's supposed to set the standard, like Canada, Australia, they send to Philippines, send to Malaysia, and then they're like, uh, we only send about three container back. They are like out of like how many hundreds of container that still in our terminal, mm. right? So, so uh, you see that is actually beyond what what architecture is. But what I'm trying to say is our mindset, our lifestyle, and and how how can you change people from stopping using plastic? No, you probably can't. If you, you can limit it, ask them to pay twenty cents, they will gladly do that. But then you ask them to let them live outside. Like other things, very logical. Like I can easily convince them. For example, natural ventilation. Mm. Like except for days when you have haze, right? We like uh, recently don't have right ventilation. Like a room that is actually with the all wall cooling aircon closed off, the IAQ, the internal air quality is about mm. five times worse mm. than the air outside. Have a free flow air. And then you look at just imagine COVID nineteen, right? Like when you have Something like sneeze in a room, let's say in the lift shaft, let's say in the condominium now, I don't know how they're going to handle it. Mm. Like somebody without a mask, right? And then you're in a confined space, everything closed off. In fact, it's the more dangerous than mm. if you just imagine, let's say you have like a builder lift, no mm. builder lift, all open one, you know? Mm. <laughs> builder go up and down, and the air will move right out. Probably you stand a better chance of not getting COVID, mm. right? So it's the room itself. In a normal day, like without haze, which is I think majority of the time, then it's actually safer than if you're in a closed and confined space. But I must say, 
I, I will manage to convince my clients not to open, even though I give them some optino nesting, which I hate. But over time, when they live in the space, and then I also don't blame my client because sometimes you have a client with two or three members that experience uh, dengue fever. Mm. So you're not going to say, no, don't worry about the nyamok, you know. Don't worry about the mosquito. Can't say that. I mean, uh, but we, we understand it. But when they get the space, that well, I'm trying to say, like my house, I've been staying here like for 17, 18 years already. Yes, occasionally I got uh, this, this uh, mosquito coming in, 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 in the house. But outside, when the air don't move, uh, in the near my bamboo, there is you get you get mosquito, and then the black and white mosquito generally is in the in the afternoon, or or you know the time is not a full day, so so it is like uh, something that you have to experience it, right? And then the interesting part if you go to Bali and things like that everyone likes to stay in the open, right? and then when we go out and eat, we like to eat by the roadside, right? Mm. Uh, even the, the 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 hawker center or whatever, mm. so. It is if you bring that up to them, discuss with them, but you still give them the, 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 the what do you call the, the mosquito netting or whatever, mm. but it would come to know the space after not six months, after a year, you open it up. Mm. And then people like uh, uh, my the other client, DJ Hauser, from day one, because he used to stay in the jungle. Mm. So from day one, they okay. his husband and wife is okay. Mm. Then, they create basically a garden at the center of the house. The house very hard to take pictures because there are more trees than the house. Right? So you 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 are when you have um a clients like that, it's about the mindset. Hmm. And then that's why I give a couple of like handphone and plastic and things like that. It's hmm. something that we have seriously looked at. Uh, but I think to get them to stay outside in the open area is actually by experience. When they move in, they might be very uh. A scat open here, open there, but when they get used to it, mm. and then the, 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 the planning of the space is very, very important. A lot of the time, it's a perceived security that people will not see you, that you are there, you are safe, then you open up. Mm. It's not so much about hospital. In, in this case, I think you know, uh, you, you didn't share earlier just now saying that the interview with the client is very useful because it, it allows you to understand what is their preference and also how they live. Um, of course, in this case, we are talking about like mosquitoes or, or whatnot, you know. Um, let's talk about like materiality because I think when it comes to commission of jobs, like you as an architect, um, the client will perceive you as the uh, timber architect, for example. And, you know, timber has been, uh, it's been within your knowledge for so long since you have been, you know, working with timber and practice with timber. And timber is slowly becomes your... Um, signature or sort of like a weapon for you to design things, you know. Uh, but but it nevertheless it doesn't meaning that you are limiting yourself to timber. And I noticed that in the recent works, um, you shared on Facebook and then you um share one like a residential building with concrete with some concrete cantilever boxes or whatnot. And when it comes to steel, then I see something much more intensive one which is in Aliyah pavilions and I'm, I'm really fascinated by what Richard Laplastria saying uh, talk to you about the timber uh, how to appreciate the materials because most of your works for example when we're dealing with curved walls so some people might saying that is quite wasteful but I, I personally I think it's quite true because it's not um, 
follow the conventional or standardized dimension or shapes of the timber. But Richard Leplastria saying that if let's say you appreciate the wood or you treated the, the, the wood with care and so that the wood can serve for a longer time. So that is a sense of a return or a sense of appreciating uh, materials. And, and plus timber is a renewable material. So I wanted to know what do you see the beauty in timber apart from the value of its uh, locality? I think it's pretty much because it's a renewable resource that's one thing. And the other thing is that although I think timber, once you cut it up, you, you treat it, or it basically it's also just an animate object, just like concrete, right? It's just that the texture you see, the perceived warmth that you get from the timber is definitely different from, let's say, a printed wall. Yeah, I like concrete wall for the same reason for the, the what you call the vari variation of texture and things like that. So, so timber, I'm not, I don't set out to be a timber architect, but because I always give an example, if I say I'm born an Inuit, you know, you see it's called Eskimo, right? The, 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 the Inuit, they have like 27 words to describe ice, you know, like when mm. you have to build, you know, they have to start different type of ice, they have to tell, they have to know the distinction, right? Huh? I think in Malaysia, if you're an architect, I, I think it should be our second nature, not just me. Right? Because we have like nearly 3,000 species. And then because we, the lack of our knowledge, we end up, we just use like Chengal, like Yellow, Palau, like all those things. Right? But the, what I like about it is, is, is uh, I use it mainly because it's renewable. And then also it's locally available. And uh, recently, I was just... Uh, approached by Austrian group that they're doing a lot of this laminate. They just, uh, they completed and then win an award for this uh, Cebu, you know, the, the Philippines there, Cebu, mm. C-E-B-U. Cebu, yeah, okay. Uh, then they, they, they use only spruce. Spruce is soft wood, that's fine. But they laminate it and this sort of technology and, and stuff like that. I think that will be the next dimension that we can look at for timber. Um, um, uh, uh, but overall, I would say that my my thinking about timber, but yes, the certain species I love it, like renga, but those those are very sensitive timber. Uh, people are very uh, in, uh, you know sensitive in the skin and things like that. And when the sawmiller they get that the timber, they have to close down a sawmill. They have a special operation. Mm. You know, but the, the the grain, the the look of the timber is just too like a painting. So yes, there's an aspect of wood that give you that sort of uh, uh, enjoyment, like how, how, how it looks. Hmm. And I think more, more of like the warmth. Uh. But I will not uh, uh, profess to be a timber expert, but because I find that timber is such a, a wide range hmm. material, especially. Uh, but I think definitely we don't know enough. Uh. Hmm. That's why we are far behind from hmm. Austria or whatever country. I think by right, we should be ahead of that in terms of the timber technology. And then what I like about they using the softwood, as this is a softwood, that to create structure and then they are fast growing wood. Mm. And then they are certified for us. That means it's a sustainable soft, mm. which Malaysia are still very far behind. Thank you so much for your generous uh, sharing from you, Architect Wui. Um, I, I'm really happy that, you know, to hear a lot from you. And I, I believe that... Um, is going to be a great advantage or privilege for all of us to learn from you. And thanks again for joining us. But 
before that, I would like to request that. Is it possible for you to give and questions instead of giving uh, advice? Because I believe that you have given a lot of advice in um, UPM students interview. So do you mind to give a questions to our audience? Oh, okay. I, I would say that um, I think we are we are living in the very unusual time. I mean, yeah, don't be scared by COVID. Uh, I mean, humanity has been like living from brink to brink. You know, we have been like always, and then normally the brink was also marking a, a very a conscious uh, leap, either mentally or or uh, what we call technologically, mm. in terms of overcoming the future challenges and things like that. So my question to to maybe to for younger architects to think about is that I think the greatest question will be on on the human habitation. I mean, how we're going to live in the future with all these challenging the challenges that surround us. But but uh, apart from some competition and asking everyone to migrate to Mars or something like that, but locally, I I, I would really uh, like to see how the younger a generation uh, of architects would see an, a, a, a new way of looking at how we live, like uh, more like you know because the house not not even the house maybe a personal space that can move or whatever like like something that you deal with the the, the, the immediate it's not so much immediate future the the things that we are facing now mm. now maybe I put it in pretty context is that. You see, I have been very active in the education over the years, and then now I'm advisor to uh, UKM and, and, and University Islam, and then and also Utah and all that. Mm. But all of the uni that I've been to, right? The, the, the fashion now is to go for co-sharing, sharing economy, share your car, become grab, share your house, become Airbnb, share your office space, become co-working space or whatever. This co-thing. To me, there's a signal that your generation cannot can no longer afford your own space like a house, right? So your priority will be shifted to something else. But you still need a place that where you can call your home, like anchor space or whatever you call it. But I really like to see a thesis on that, like how you all would see that, like when you apparently a lot of you all want to get married. So I'm not sure. <laughs> Having a family like become like not not your priority now, and then also that you are the smartest in, in generation. You know you are the smartest in the generation. You access towards data and things like that. But it's also the most like uh, challenge in terms of like uh, depression or uh, whatever whatever to unprecedented. So within the context of all this, like we just use let's say a personal space. Uh, um, I really. I like to see either someone have a PC, someone come out with a competition, and then like in Malaysia already have Masa, which I recently my talk was organized mm -hmm. by Masa Student Alliance. Maybe, maybe it should be a global, because Malaysian students are everywhere, like now you're in Scotland. Mm. They create something to, to, to maybe frame a question, not even a, a solution, to how you see your future in the next 30 years. All right. Thank you so much. So if any of our audience somehow just come across and you have a thesis or works that related to this topic, feel free to share with us and, you know, share with Architect Ui. So thank you so much. And, you know, this morning I was just joining like UCSI crit session. They were sharing on Facebook and 
I, I, I just noticed that some of the comments from the critics were saying that, you know, the, the design is kind of conventional. And it reminds me to think that, you know, how the education system or, or even our construction industry should be thinking ahead to understand what is the future, you know, because, but actually personally, I think the future is now because we are actually living ahead of futures. So thank you so much, Architect Wee, and thank you so much for your time and patience and your your sharing. I hope to see you soon. Yeah, uh, it's my pleasure. I definitely hope to see you soon. Thank you yeah, so much. And good luck on your future undertaking. Right. And then good luck to your podcast. I think you're doing a good job. Thank you so much, Architect Wee. Thanks for your kind words. See you.